a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a place where people who long to think freely can gather. Now, unfortunately, there are those who do not appreciate our free thinking. They refer to it as wrong think. I say we wear it like a badge of honor. I'm joined by my friend Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm good, and I'm not going to bleat like a sheep, but I will make an observation, which I think might be interesting to people listening. Now, this is personal and anecdotal, but nonetheless, two years into this thing, your humble wrong thinker who's not once worn a mask or practiced any form of sickness kabuki, not, and in addition to that, am ho- unholy unvaxxed. Somehow I'm not sick, but the three times jabbed Secretary of Defense who wears multiple diapers um, apparently has gotten sick with the Rona. Dang. There's a lesson in there somewhere, though I'm not sure what it could you be. You think? <laughs> you think? You know, they've, you know they had, it had to be dragged kicking and screaming into the sunlight that these, and I always use the air fingers quotes, vaccines don't provide immunity. Remember when they were telling us exactly the opposite, that they're 95% effective, you take this shot, you don't have to worry about the Rona? Uh, well, now it's become impossible to hide the fact that lots of people who've taken not just one, not just two, but even three jabs uh, are continuing to get sick and to spread the horrible Rona. You know, so what do we, what, where do we go from here? I, one thing that I am feeling great certainty about as we come into 2022 is that the uh, the narrative, especially the narrative about how you must be jabbed in order to yeah. you know, protect yourself, it is falling apart quickly. And one of the biggest developments in recent memory was uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who was one of the yeah. pioneering creators of mRNA uh, technology and medical understanding. He was uh, deplatformed by Twitter, then went on Joe Rogan's show and... Holy cow. I don't know if you've seen that interview, uh, Eric, but... uh... Yeah, for three hours, he very meticulously, very rationally, and very calmly explained what mRNA vaccines do and the problems with them. And this is, as you say, from the guy who invented them. So he's got standing to talk. He's not just some radio guy like you or me. Uh, He is, you know, you want to put it in terms of familiarity, the science, right? And somehow... Uh, we're not supposed to listen to this guy, but we are supposed to listen to the doctor who doesn't practice medicine, who's working for the Biden thing. Isn't that something? And, and you know, the, the things that he's pointing out, uh, these are things that we've heard people talk about. It's not like, oh, this just came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but it's being talked about by someone who actually has deep, deep knowledge in that particular field. And uh, Joe Rogan does a marvelous job of letting him talk. He lets him talk. That's the key, I think, to doing a good interview when you're dealing with somebody who's an expert in whatever their field happens to be, following it up with relevant questions. And Joe's got a real real talent for that, and I applaud him for it. And he's really gotten traction because he is doing what the media once did long ago when it was the job of the press to provide information to people so that people could do things like practice informed consent. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. You know, in other words, be given the alternatives and, and, and told by doctors and experts, look, this drug is available, and it does these good things, but it's possible it might also do these bad things, and you should weigh whether you're going to take it or not, depending on those things, and how they affect you particularly. That's a reasonable, rational approach to medicine. 
But what's happened is that every kind of information that in any way detracts from the narrative about these vaccines uh, is completely suppressed, and the people who provide that information uh, are, are banished, you know, and, and, and treated as some kind of, uh, some kind of awful person who, uh, because they're trying to let people know what's going on so that they can make an intelligent decision as opposed to being hard-sold on something that may not be in their best interests. It's it's fascinating to me just because I've I've been a part of mainstream media um, for for quite some time and then I've been a part of not so mainstream media for a long long time mm-hmm. as well. But the mainstream media is losing this battle to keep the narrative on track, and I couldn't be more happy. Yeah, me either. And I think they they became so militantly, obviously over the top uh, propagandists to the point where. You, you have to be almost an, uh, a willful imbecile not to see it at this point. It's no longer shades of gray, and yeah, I can kind of see that Dan Rather was a liberal. Uh, now they are just outright shills, and information has come out about things like, for example, as RFK Jr. has pointed out, that Reuters, one of the major news providers, is essentially financed by Pfizer and you know the pharmaceutical wow. cartels. And you know, how do you trust the information that uh, is bought and paid for by the, you know, the, the entity that has a, a very strong incentive to make sure that the spin is in a certain direction. Well, I'm, I'm grateful, and I, I think that, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's doing a lot of the heavy lifting here, mm-hmm. but I also think that there are voices like yours, and, and I would hope that mine is contributing to this as well. There are a lot of people trying to speak the truth and, you know, to shine light into those corners of darkness. Joe Rogan right now is holding the biggest torch that anybody has seen in a while and it appears to be working people mm-hmm. are waking up they are and again it's ironic that rogan is basically a comedian you know he doesn't deny that that's what his shtick is um but he's also an excellent interviewer and he's bringing to light these facts that absolutely nobody else will in the in the mainstream corporate press and that resonates i think i think there are millions of people in this country who just want a fair shake who don't want to be lectured who just want to hear want to get the information and evaluate it and make a decision for themselves and not be constantly lectured and told what to do by the likes of uh, Brian Stelter and all these other people. Yeah, and, and I think you touched on the, the reason Rogan is succeeding beyond you know the wildest imagination of, of members of the mainstream media is all he does is facilitate honest, open mm-hmm. discussion. What a concept. Yep. yep, and you notice he doesn't berate the people that he interviews. Uh, he has a, a calm and reasonable discussion with them, and that's how it ought to be. You and I, being old enough to remember the way things used to be, when they would have these programs, you know, you would watch uh, a moderator who would have some guests, and the guests might have different opinions, and these opinions might be very wildly diverging, but they had a civil conversation, and they bandied about the facts and the pros and the cons, and it was edifying, uh, and it helped you to understand the world and to deal with it appropriately, whereas now you're, you're getting Pravda, I mean, blatant just propaganda crammed down your throat in the most belligerent and obnoxious manner imaginable. Well, and it it makes me uh, simultaneously feel, um, you know, encouraged and maybe even a little exhilarated. It also makes me a little bit cautious just because I understand the people in power are going to see this as a threat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic when I suggest this, but... If suddenly someone turns up, hey, we found child porn on Joe Rogan's computer, sure, you'll know that he was making the kind of impact that someone in power just could not abide. You know, I worry about that sort of thing, too. But even if that kind of thing happened to Rogan, somebody else would come forward and take his place. I think uh, we are now at um, a crucible or fulcrum point 
where things are tipping in an opposite direction and they're losing control of it, uh, just to be another old fogey and make a you know another old fogey reference. Do you remember uh, Nikolai Ceausescu? Oh yes, the yeah. the ex dictator of Romania. And there's this wonderful video that's still up on YouTube before they pulled it down of the moment when he lost control of the narrative. You know, he was giving a speech to a crowd of people, and it just you could see there was a moment when everything turned. And the, 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 the tsunami just washed over him and his regime. Finally, they'd had enough of it. They, they'd been under this guy's thumb for decades, and finally they'd had enough of it. And I think after two years, I think a lot of Americans have simply had enough of this, too. Yeah, and it was, it was not a happy ending for him or for his wife. I mean, they, they were given a trial. They were dragged out and shot on Christmas Day because of the things that they had done to the people. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that, but I do want to see accountability for the people who have caused harm. And if that means they have to sit in court and answer for what they've done, well, then that should happen. Amen. Absolutely. It's not only should, it's necessary. Uh, What's going on is no longer a question of good intentions that went awry, of mistakes that were made. We are now at the point where we can say, in all fairness and and with, with accuracy, that what's happened has become a deliberate malicious effort uh, to tyrannize the population, to terrorize the population, to use the pretext of public health to enslave the population, to despoil people's lives, uh, to hurt children. Uh, Think about all the, the millions of kids who have been psychologically traumatized by what's happened over the last two years. It is obscene, and people who are responsible must be held to account for it. Well, and again, for those who, who may have joined us a little bit late, Eric has uh, has just been telling us, uh, you know, early on in the interview, you uh, you have gone unmasked, you have gone unjabbed, and after two years of all this this fear that's swirling around you, uh, you remain unscathed. I'm knocking on wood as I say that, by the way, but uh, sure, there's something well, most to glean from unscathed. That. You know, this is one of the things that uh, should have been brought out in public and talked about by the responsible authorities. And what I refer to here is the fact that the original Rona, not the latest variant of it, but the original Rona, uh, most people who got it who did not have comorbidities, in other words, who weren't already pretty sick or very old, stood a 99.8-something percent chance of not dying. Now, that is a very calming statistic, isn't it? Oh, yes. And that should have been presented to the population to calm people down and say, look, yeah, this is potentially serious if you fall into one of these categories. And, yes, it's reasonable that precautions should be taken if you fall into one of those categories and around people like that. But it's not as bad as we thought, and that's good. Well, I appreciate your take on this. We're going to take a real quick commercial break. Eric Peters Mm -hmm. from epautos.com is my guest. There is a link to his website in the show notes, which you'll find at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. Eric, as you may know, is one of the great voices of reason out there on matters regarding freedom. But, Eric, you're also my go-to guy when it comes to things automotive. And I've seen a couple of articles on your site recently that really grabbed my attention. The first one was the sad news that apparently muscle cars are on their way out. Did I see mm-hmm. this correctly? Dodge is, is going to stop making our, our favorite uh, muscle cars? Yeah, well, they're being forced to stop making them by our wonderful government again because the V8 Hemi that powers cars like the Challenger and the Charger and also Ram trucks and a number of Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee 
uh, simply can no longer meet the regulatory hurdles that have been imposed by the Biden thing, including the latest one, which mandates that all new cars will average 50-something miles per gallon by model year 2026. So uh, Stellantis, which is the parent company of uh, Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep, and Ram, uh, announced that they will be retiring the Hemi, even though they'll be continuing, apparently, to make some iteration of the Charger and the Challenger. The problem is you take away the V8, and you're left with something that's no longer what it was. The whole point of those cars was that they had these big, hairy V8 engines. People don't want a hybrid, a, a, a six-cylinder, or, God help us, a turbocharged four-cylinder hybrid. But that's where things are headed. Wow. Now, you followed this up with an article about the rationing of speed, and mm-hmm. I thought that could be a fun thing to explore. Um, some people have been conditioned and trained, you know, from very early age. Now, speed is bad. You know, slower is better. But talk to me about the practicality of not just speed, but all the other things that we're missing out on. Well, it's not just speed. Uh, what, I, what I hit on is, uh, or, or leapfrog from, is you constantly hear about how electric cars, and particularly Teslas, uh, have ludicrous speed, and they'll talk about how they get from zero to 60 in three seconds or such, which is very true. Uh, the problem is that the electric cars that most people can afford do not have ludicrous speed and do not get to 60 in three seconds. In fact, they're pretty slow if you look at the numbers. Uh, a Nissan Leaf takes about 7.5 seconds to get to 60, uh, which is about average for a four-cylinder crossover non-electric car and nothing at all special. And the point that I'm making here is that right now you can get all sorts of, of powerful and fun cars at a price that ordinary people can afford. You can pick up uh, you know, a, a, a Challenger, for example, that we were just talking about for about 35000 or a Mustang GT for about the same. Or for a lot less, you could pick up something like a Mazda Miata or a Subaru, Subaru WRX, Uh, And for that amount of money, all you can get is an entry-level electric car that not only isn't particularly speedy, uh, it suffers from the gimp of not being able to go very far and all the other problems associated with electric cars. Now, if you want speed, then you've got to kick up to something like a Tesla 3, and now you're looking at $50,000 for speed. And what that means is that most people are no longer going to be able to afford a fun, fast car, and we're, we're kind of headed toward this bleak Sovietization of transportation where only the elite people who are connected with the government and have the the money to do it are able to indulge themselves in things that are fun and powerful yeah i you know i I know there are people who will will say in the name of safety we had to do this or in the name of saving the Mm -hmm. globe you know or saving the environment uh, we had to do this um i gotta ask you though are, are there practical reasons to have you know horsepower and, and to have other features that that can't make the cut in order to make those uh, those mileage guidelines well of course sure uh you know speed comes in really handy when you pull out from say the supermarket shopping lot and you see somebody bearing down on you at high speed and the only thing you can do is get out of their way and if your car is slow you're not going to have that option and uh, power also gives you the ability to do things like pull a trailer or uh, you know if you're a guy who likes to do a lot of home improvement projects to go down to Lowe's and get a pallet of bricks or uh, you know a, a sheet of OSB a couple of sheets of OSB <laughs> and drag them home right. these are things that electric cars cannot do they don't have the capability and capacity to do them well and and again it just illustrates that to that ongoing problem of of government expansion into every possible area of our lives Exactly. Now, in the past, there were high-performance vehicles that only the rich could afford, but the big difference was uh, there was no bar to companies and individuals who looked at that and thought, you know, I could probably make something that would do the same thing for less money. 
Um, a really good example from the world of motorcycles, for example, is back in the 50s, the fastest production bike was a bike called the Vincent Black Shadow, which is a great name, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But it was a very expensive bike, and only a few people could afford to get it. Well, Soshiro Honda, who was the founder of Honda, decided he could do something like that for a lot less, and he came up with the CB750 in 1969, and that was a bike that almost anybody, literally a high school kid, could afford. And all of a sudden, average people had access to the kind of speed and performance that previously only very affluent people could get. And we've lost that. And that's a tragedy. And it's not just in transportation. It's everywhere. They're going to ration and minimize and decrease the things that Americans once took for granted, things like single-family homes, um, things like multiple cars, all of the amenities and stuff that, that kind of democratized life and made the distinction between very rich people and working-class people not as much as they have been historically. Eric, as, as part of your work in test driving and writing reviews on uh, numerous types of cars, uh, does this does this throw a bit of a wet blanket over you know what you do? Does it limit oh, without the, question? Does it limit what you get to experience? Well, not what I get to experience, but what I have to write about. Certainly, we are on the cusp. We're moving toward this era when essentially cars will be what I call universal transportation appliances. Essentially, uh, you'll have the choice of small, medium, or larger in your choice of color, but they're all fundamentally the same, electrically powered, with nothing to get particularly excited about and nothing for me to write about other than, well, this one's got a bigger touchscreen than that one has. Interesting. Well, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Now, I have to ask, is there anything you have driven within the last uh, few weeks that uh, really stands out in your mind that you'd recommend uh, people maybe get some hands-on experience with? Well, yeah, I just finished and actually still have the new Ford Explorer, uh, which is kind of interesting because the Explorer was one of the first SUVs when it came out oh so many decades ago, and then Ford changed it around to a crossover, which is essentially a car-based vehicle that looks like an SUV but really isn't as capable as an SUV. And then they uh, rechanged it again to what it is now, which is back to being an SUV. I mean, it's based on a rear-wheel drive layout, has real four-wheel drive available, not all-wheel drive. And it has capability and it has strength that most crossovers in that class, in that size range with standard three rows of seats, do not have. So it really stands out. If you're looking for a vehicle for your family that can pull a boat, it has a standard 5,200-pound tow rating. Wow. It can go off-road um, and do things that most of the crossovers can't. It's definitely worth a look. Interesting. Wow. Well, you know, it just so happens the wife and I are, you know, we're we're in the market looking to replace mm -hmm. one of our cars, and it's got to be something that can tow. But uh, we yep. we don't need to tow a fifth wheel. But um, that it's good to know that there's still some options out there. Um, I don't feel encouraged at very much that I see out there. Although I do like getting to live vicariously through some of the uh, the articles that you write about the various cars that you well, drive. Thanks. Yeah, I'm hoping to get my hands on. Uh, you know, they're going to put apparently the Hellcat drivetrain for a last hurrah. Uh, and other Jeep products before the plug gets pulled, and hopefully I'm going to get a chance to drive some of those soon. Ooh, well, that could, yeah, that could add up to some fun. Now, I mean, what could be better than a 4x4 that runs an 11-second quarter mile? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure they got a defibrillator waiting for me at the end of the track in case yep. my, my heart skips a beat and stops. Yep, yep. <laughs> Eric, we got about a minute left here. Okay. Um, let's take a moment to talk about your website. I want I want to sure. introduce my listeners to it. For people who have never been there, first of all, where will they find it? What can they expect to find? 
Well, I'm pretty easy. It's it's just epautos.com, and they'll find practically everything, you know, primarily about cars, but not just cars, about topics that touch on uh, transportation, liberty, um, and also just fun articles. I posted a retrospective the other day about some motorcycles that I own. That's a side passion of mine, and a lot of people are interested in that. But practically anything there except online casino gambling. <laughs> and and he's got some great sponsors as well as he's got some tremendous commenters who follow along and, and leave some very thought-provoking content there in the comment sections. Absolutely, yeah. And I hope people who are listening to the show will consider joining that conversation because it's a lot of fun and there's also a lot to be learned. Yep. Hey, it's it's all about, uh, you know, again, that free and open flow of discussion and conversation. Joe Rogan does it. Eric Peters does it. My gosh, the more people do it, I think the better we're going to be. Eric, great Amen, visiting with you. Amen, my fellow wrong thinker. All right, we'll talk again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, just a quick mention of some of the sponsors who make this program possible on a daily basis. If you're getting something from this, okay, other than, you know, agitated, higher blood pressure, ulcers, and the like. No, if you're, if you're getting a clearer view of the world, but more importantly, a sense of peace and calm that God is still in charge, and that, uh, yes, you have a role to play that is essential then I would encourage you, please, reach out to the sponsors who make this program possible, including MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, HSLAmmo.com, SewingQuiltingCenter.com, and GovernYourIncome.com. So as I mentioned in my conversation with Eric Peters, you know, this, uh, this headline, Indiana Life Insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. Now, I'm really, I, I try very hard not to be a sensationalist, you know, and uh, uh, look, Alex Jones has probably done some good, but I also think he has shot himself in the foot just because of the sensational manner in which so much of his information has been presented. People who might have listened if it were presented more rationally, you know, they they hear the ranting and raving. When, when you get to the point where you're spittle flinging, mm, you got a problem. It's 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 important, and I understand why people may want to fly off the handle, but uh, that that doesn't necessarily translate into oh well now people have to listen because I'm all riled up. But I see a headline like this: deaths are up forty percent among people ages eighteen to sixty-four. I've got a link to the article here that uh, that talks about this. This is from Steve Kirsch's newsletter. I picked this up off of LouRockwell.com today. He says, look, this is huge. Something is killing healthy people at an unprecedented rate, and it isn't COVID. Now, he speculates as to maybe it could be the COVID vaccine. He says he thinks so and offers the reasons why he believes that could be the case. But the bottom line is, you know, we've been fed a lot of misinformation. I think we're at a very interesting place right now where the narrative of, look, we had to do all these horrible things, we had to shut down society, we had to force people to do this, force people to do that, mandate this, mandate that. That narrative is falling apart. Things have flipped, 
And, you know, not everybody agrees with that. There are some people, for, for some reason, I don't understand this part of human nature, but there are some people who actually thrive on being afraid. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. This is about a guy who is terribly wronged, betrayed in the worst possible ways, imprisoned falsely. Um, finally, he makes his escape. He finds a tremendous treasure, and then he sets about getting revenge on the people who ruined his life and stole from him the happiness that he once had. And in particular, there's a there's a woman that he loves that he is uh, he's looking to put the boots to her as well for the role that he believes she played. And at some point, she confronts him about this. When she realizes who she is, she, she's like, why, why are you doing this? And he pleads with her, don't rob me of my hate. It's a very powerful moment in the film. And it's also very descriptive of that strange quirk of human nature where there are people who are like, don't rob me of my fear. You know, I can show you what, what I think could be pretty convincing evidence. Ultimately, you get to make that choice. But I could show you pretty convincing evidence that the things that we've been told, the things that have been pronounced as unassailable fact, in fact, unquestionable fact, to the point that we have active censorship taking place. You know, you can't think those things. We're going to remove them from social media. We're going to deplatform you. We're going to do everything we can to smear you. And it's the media. It's the political class. And... To a large extent, segments of corporate America have bought into this and have forced it through. They've done the dirty deeds for their, their cohorts in government. But what they were telling us was not based in reality. And it's something that they couldn't have kept hidden forever. The, the truth eventually would come out. I believe it's starting to come out. And it gives me two kind of weird opposite reactions. On the one hand, it's very exhilarating to see their narrative crumble. It actually makes me feel like, hmm, maybe maybe I wasn't such an oddball for, for the approach that I've taken over this last couple of years. But I'm also filled with a, a sense of, of, I don't know if dread is the right word, but I'm filled with a sense of, uh, of anxiousness because... If they are cornered, the people, the institutions that have participated in this massive lie, this massive fraud that has been pushed on not just the American people, but people all over the world, what are they likely to do? I mean, the evidence to me seems pretty clear that uh, we're talking about the kind of people who uh, would have no qualms about getting violent or instigating more violence than we've already seen. Remember, some forms of violence are actually acceptable. Why, it's just mostly peaceful protest, you know, it's really, there's nothing to be seen here. Unless, of course, uh, grandma's walking around inside the U.S. Capitol with an American flag, having been waved through the door by the police officer after, you know, a bunch of people pushed their way in. Oh, that's an insurrection. That's, you know, the kind of thing we ought to have the military rounding up everybody. They're already, they've held people for nearly a year based on the suspicion these people have engaged in insurrection. Nobody has been charged with insurrection. So I think the stakes are very high, which means that the people who are trying desperately to hold on to power, to continue to toe the line on that narrative, they may be capable of doing some really 
crazy stuff. If to save their own skins or just to try to maintain that illusion, no, 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 we're still in control. So I don't recommend, you know, immerse yourself even deeper and get uh, get even more, you know, neck deep in, in all the information about this. You definitely want to be aware. But I also think it's good to to step back every so often and remind yourself what they are doing and what they are trying to do doesn't have to involve you. You can opt out of of their narrative, for instance. You can opt out of the fear. You can go back to living as normal a life as you can. Yeah, there are some things that are a little bit tougher. Well, what if I want to fly across the country, fly across the ocean and go see a family member? Yeah, that's going to be pretty tough. Because they're still talking about, well, you've got to have, uh, you know, proof of vaccination. You've got to have, you know, the, these papers in order to, to travel. We're at a very interesting time right now. And I feel as though we are building to a tipping point, and I don't know which way it's going to go. I would like to think that the tipping point is going to lead us back into a place where common sense, where accountability for those in power, and where personal freedom can once again be part of what is considered normal. But there's a crazy amount of people that don't want that that still want to cling to the idea that, no, no, there must be some mistake or something. But you look at that headline. Indiana Life Insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. I've got the link to Steve Kirsch's newsletter. I encourage you, take a look at this for yourself. Deaths among 18 to 64-year-olds who don't normally die are up 40% in 2021 versus pre-pandemic levels. It's not COVID. COVID deaths are actually down this year. Something has caused a very big change. I don't know what that is, and I'm not going to immediately jump to the conclusion, you know it's a vaccine. I don't know that it is. But whatever it is that's causing this is something bigger and more deadly than COVID, and it's affecting nearly everyone. And the CDC, of course, is right on top of this. Well, Steve Kerr says, I'm kidding. The CDC is as clueless as usual. Now, he tries to put together a few of the, the clues here. One of them being, you know, these deaths started only after the vaccines rolled out. And the deaths are primarily working-age people, 18 to 64, who are employees of companies that have group life insurance plans through One America. That's not to say that 65 and older aren't affected as well, but he says what's key is that we're seeing these effects in young people. There are more excess deaths than any time in history, so it's likely caused by a new threat never before seen in history, like perhaps a novel vaccine that's never been used before or something new like that that a huge number of people would be exposed to, such as by a state that pushes vaccination. Now, I don't think this is just wild speculation on the part of Steve Kirsch. In fact, when we come back, Dr. Robert Malone, one of the people who pioneered mRNA, uh, you know, vaccine technology, he has some thoughts on this as well. And he actually goes so far as to suggest perhaps the biggest mass medical experiment in history is at the root of this unprecedented number of deaths of people between 18 and 64. 
Again, my goal isn't to scare you, but uh, if we're going to be aware, we should be aware of this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to send some love out to Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, they have a huge handy quilter event this month. So if you know someone who is really into quilting and wants to do it right, you should probably turn them on to sewingandquiltingcenter.com. This is, this is the place to go. Now, uh, Eric Alsop said, look, you need to let your listeners know all machines are on season-end pricing, including some of the hard-to-find machines available for in-store purchase. This includes machines from Brother, Baby Lock, and Genome. And, of course, every machine comes with free classes on how to use it. They never expire. All the machine classes can be taken again if you happen to forget or you just want a refresher course. How cool is that? I mean, it's a pretty significant investment, but... It's one that uh, you're not just, well, you're on your own. Good luck figuring it out. Now, they have got uh, some, some great teachers. Tammy and Vernie are their teachers. The best people in southern Utah for learning how to use your machine. So maybe you should check with them. And, of course, uh, they are doing a free pickup and delivery during January on sewing and long arms that need service. So if you have a quilting machine or a sewing machine that needs to be fixed... Talk to sewingandquiltingcenter.com. There's a link in the show notes. It'll take you right to them, including their phone number. All right, let's get to this. If there was ever a headline to get your attention, it's the one that says, Indiana Life Insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. Dr. Robert Malone, who I think single-handedly, with the help of Joe Rogan's massive listening audience, has uh, has put a stake into the heart of the narrative that, well, you know, everything that's being done to mitigate to COVID and the pandemic is, is correct and necessary. He asks the question, what if the largest experiment on human beings in history is a failure? Dr. Malone says, a seasoned stock analyst texted me a link today, and when I clicked it open, I could hardly believe what I was reading. What a headline. That's the one I've been sharing with you. He says, this headline is a nuclear truth bomb masquerading as an insurance agent's dry manila envelope full of actuarial tables. Now, Dr. Malone says, people frequently write to Jill and myself, people we've never met. They call, they arrive at the farm by appointment or unannounced. They fill our email inboxes with their inquiries. They all want something, time, attention, an interview. Many may want to tell us about their fear, illness, nightmares, or what seems like outright, outright paranoid conspiracies. And then over time, he says, these fears and conspiracies keep getting confirmed. As uh, Jan Jakilek, a senior editor with the Epic Times, recently said to him, it's getting harder and harder to tell which ones are mere conspiracy theories and which ones are true reality. Dr. Malone says one farm visitor told me of his foreshadowing massive numbers of deaths within three years consequent to the vaccine, the genetic vaccines, and that this was all about the Great Reset and the depopulation agenda of the World Economic Forum. Dr. Malone says I tried to reassure him that, in my opinion, this was highly unlikely while privately thinking about how easily people fall into this type of conspiracy ideation. 
and how I need to be careful to avoid going there when confronting so many public health decisions that appear either incompetent or nefarious. Now, he says, at the time, I only knew of the World Economic Forum as the host of a big annual party in Davos, Switzerland, where the uber-rich and the hoi oligoi of the Western nations went to watch TED Talks and drink the best wine and be seen. Silly me. What a long, strange trip this has been. He says, I doubt that even Hunter S. Thompson could have imagined it in his most drug- and booze-addled state. But he says, suffice to say... I nominate Ralph Steadman as the official illustrator of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, or a resurrected Hieronymus Bosch. But he says, I'm wandering from a point that I'm afraid to clearly state. It is starting to look to me like the largest experiment on human beings in recorded history has failed. And if this rather dry report from a senior Indiana life insurance executive holds true, then Reiner Fulmich's crimes against humanity push for convening new Nuremberg trials starts to look a lot less chaotic and a lot more prophetic. Now, Dr. Malone says, here's what lit me up in this report from the Center Square contributor, Margaret Menge. Quote, the head of Indianapolis-based insurance company, One America, said the death rate is up a stunning 40% from pre-pandemic levels among working-age people. We are seeing right now the highest death rates we've seen in the history of this business, not just at One America. That's the company's CEO, Scott Davidson, Davison, rather, saying this during an online news conference this week. He says the data is consistent across every player in that business. One America is a $100 billion insurance company that has had its headquarters in Indianapolis since 1877. The company has approximately 2,400 employees and sells life insurance, including group life insurance, to employers in the state. Davison says the increase in deaths represents huge, huge numbers. And that it's not elderly people who are dying, but primarily working age people, 18 to 64, who are employees of companies that have group life insurance plans through One America. He said, and what we saw in just the third quarter, we're seeing it continue into fourth quarter, is that death rates are up over 40%, 40% over, rather, what they were pre-pandemic. Just to give you an idea how bad that is, a three sigma or one in 200 year catastrophe would be a 10% increase over pre-pandemic. So 40% is just unheard of. Dr. Malone asks, what's driving this unprecedented surge in all-cause mortality? Most of the claims being filed for deaths are not classified as COVID-19 deaths. Davison said, what the data is showing to us is that the deaths that are being reported as COVID deaths greatly understate the actual death losses among working-age people from the pandemic. It may not all be COVID on their death certificate, but the deaths are just are up, just huge, huge numbers. So Dr. Malone says, look, let's continue on assuming that you've read the article. And it's linked in there, so you really have no excuse for not reading it for yourself. He says, at a minimum, based on my reading, one has to conclude that if this report holds and is confirmed by others in the dry world of insurance actuaries, We have both a huge human tragedy and a profound public policy failure of the U.S. government and the U.S. Health and Human Services system to serve and protect the citizens that pay for this service. If this holds true, he says, then the genetic genetic vaccines so aggressively promoted 
have failed. And the clear federal campaign to prevent early treatment with life-saving drugs has contributed to a massive avoidable loss of life. At worst, he says this report implies that the federal workplace vaccine mandates have driven what appear to be a true crime against humanity. Massive loss of life in presumably workers that have been forced to accept a toxic vaccine at higher frequency relative to the general population of Indiana. Furthermore, he says, we've also been living through the most massive, globally coordinated propaganda and censorship campaign in the history of the human race. All major mass media and social media technology companies have coordinated to stifle and suppress any discussion of the risks of the genetic vaccines and or alternative early treatments. He's not wrong. And he says if this report holds true, there must be accountability. We're not just talking about running over the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States and grinding it into the mud with an army of artificial intelligence-powered heavy infantry. This article reads like a dry description of an avoidable mass casualty event caused by a mandated experimental medical procedure, one for which all opportunities for the victims to have become self-informed about the potential risks have been methodically erased from both the Internet and from public awareness by an international corrupt cabal operating under the flag of the Trusted News Initiative. He says George Orwell must be spinning in his grave. And he concludes by saying, I hope I'm wrong. I fear that I am right. Now, you know, of course, that my goal on this program is not to instill fear or anger. But that's some pretty sobering stuff to consider. Okay, it, it shakes me. And I feel like I've, you know, my, my backbone has strengthened considerably over the years just based on some of the things that I have recognized. Well, that's a reality. That's, this is what's happening. I don't know, and so I want to make very clear, I'm not saying the vaccines are responsible for this unusual uptick in deaths of people between 18 and 64 years of age that are not COVID. But it's so clear that the people in power and their enablers in the media and unfortunately many of their cohorts within corporate America have been pushing something on us that has not delivered on its promises to protect people from catching the virus or to, to prevent illness or death. What if? That's the big question that should be looming large over everyone and I can't answer it for you, but what if it was a huge failed experiment? Where do we go from here? And should there be accountability? I say yes. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. Looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. This is a gathering place for people who are serious about owning their own worldview. In other words, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to insist you must toe this ideological line or you are not welcome. I'm going to do my best to present information that I believe is credible Nonpartisan and is detached from a personal agenda to force you into something or another that you may or may not want. 
And then you get to make up your mind what you want to do with that information. Our show is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, HSLAmmo.com, Sewing and Quilting Center, and also GovernYourIncome.com. I want to start with something kind of humorous. I want to thank my friend Chicago Ron for sending this my way. This is uh, the Babylon Bee's Top 20 Predictions for 2022. Some of these are pretty good. Let's see. This is just a quick look at a definitive list of things that will happen in 2022. Number one is, uh, oh, this was on January 1st. U.S. Postal Service will deliver your Christmas package. Okay, there's probably a few of those. How about this? January 21st, men break every record ever held by women. Followed uh, the next uh, day by Harvard Gender Studies professor discovers five new pronouns. Followed on January 25th by Obama releasing another memoir. Let's see. February 1st, the World Health Organization runs out of Greek letters for variants and starts naming them after the Muppets. Uh, Oh, March 10th, Obama releases yet another memoir. March 25th, meat is outlawed and replaced with delicious bugs instead. April 1st, AOC is red-pilled after reading an economics book. How about uh, (laughs) April 19th, man dressed as woman hailed his first woman not to complain about being cold. All right, one final one. August 15th, the only child to be named Brandon for the entire year is born. I love these guys only because they make me laugh at a time when otherwise I really am having a hard time feeling encouraged. And if there was ever a time where personal courage was a necessity, that would be now. Paul Rosenberg has a marvelous essay on how to build confidence and courage, as well as a handy way to distinguish between these two qualities. He says confidence and courage are not magic. They are built just as other aspects of human character are built. And if we want them, and he says, I think we should, we'll have to develop in the old-fashioned way with work. But before we continue, he says, let's define confidence and courage. What These are such great definitions here. Confidence is an opinion that you hold about yourself. You either believe that you are able to do a thing or you don't. You either believe that you have innate ability or you don't. Courage is your ability to make decisions and hold to them in the face of fear. Courage is about what you do, not about what you feel. See, that right there was some wonderful clarity. But he says the first complication for building confidence and courage is that counterfeit methods abound. There are many people and groups that will tempt you with shortcuts, and the game is this. They give you something that looks and feels like confidence or courage, but only if you are inside their group. It's a safety in numbers trick, a terror of personal responsibility trick. Now, he says, please remember that groups are not better than individuals. They're worse. So don't fall for a counterfeit real confidence and courage the real confidence and courage, he says, are formed inside of you, not inside of a group. And that fast, cheap courage of joining the group is fake. Truth be told, he says, it's a kind of stealth enslavement, and it's fragile. But now let's get to the building, to the specifics, rather, of building courage and confidence. First of all, building courage. Paul Rosenberg says, our subject in this installment is courage in general, especially as it applies to moral courage. We'll deal with physical courage in our next installment, but he says, first, believe me that our world is in jeopardy, not for lack of physical courage, 
but for lack of moral courage. This is the kind that really matters. Now, with that said, we can begin with one of John Wayne's very best lines, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Courage is your ability to act in the face of legitimate fears. And you have to build this ability just like you build your muscles. That means you start at a low level of courage and build up to a high level. Courage grows little by little and only with effort. So if courage is built, then something else is true. To act cowardly does not make you a permanent coward. You can always do better next time, as long as you try again next time. So imagine a weightlifter, perhaps a great champion. He can lift hundreds of pounds, but when he started, he failed many times to lift fractions of what he lifts now. He only became a champion after he decided not to quit, even when he failed a lot and things were very hard. And it's the same with courage. If you face a scary situation and act as a coward, that isn't the end of it for you. You can come back and do better and come back the time after that and still do better. Then after a long time, people will watch you and wonder how you can have so much courage in the face of adversity. So building courage is difficult, but you can do it. And if you fail at first, Paul Rosenberg says, get up and do it again. Here are some of the usual steps. Make up your mind to do better next time. Imagine how you'll face things differently. Force yourself to do things you don't feel like doing. Learn to overcome your instincts with your will and stand up for what's right, even against a crowd. Now he reminds us this has been done by millions of other people, and that means that you can too, even if it requires hard, consistent evidence, or effort rather. Now, building confidence. Confidence, as we said earlier, is an opinion you hold about yourself. So the first question facing you becomes, are you judging yourself properly? Are you accurate in what you think you can or cannot do? Paul Rosenberg says what many people think about first is that they might overestimate their abilities. Now, that, however, is not a serious problem. If you think you can do more than you actually can, reality will clarify that error and quickly. Once you try to do it, you'll find out. Underestimating is the more common error, and it has two major parts. The first is that you presume you can't, so you never try. And sadly, this is very common. It's been a gigantic loss to the human species. This passage from G.K. Chesterton in The Defendant makes the point well. There runs a strange law through the length of human history that men are continually tending to undervalue their environment, to undervalue their happiness, to undervalue themselves. The great sin of mankind, the sin typified by the fall of Adam, is the tendency not towards pride, but towards this weird and horrible humility. End quote. Now, Rosenberg says the second part involves hiding our abilities. Some of us have decided not to acknowledge our abilities because we feared that people would dislike us for having them. This is a common error, but he says it's a sneaky one. It often occurs without our really considering what's happening. We feel fear. Then we decide that acknowledging our abilities is dangerous, and what makes it worse is that this usually begins at an early age. Hiding your ability might have made sense for you at one time. There are, after all, bad situations and bad people. Protecting yourself has value. But he says we must always acknowledge our abilities to ourselves, even if we hide them from the world. So if hearing about your ability will anger someone, don't tell them. But don't let it go further than that. Don't close your own eyes. He says we're all born with certain basic abilities, of course. 
but practical applied ability is built with practice. And this includes all types of abilities, from physical skills to making moral judgments. So if you want ability, act. And as you act, notice your actions and results. Decide what worked better and worse, and then improve your actions. As you continue learning, he says, decide which types of abilities suit you and your life the best. Choose the best paths and spend time and effort on them. Find your gaps, decide which abilities will be more or less important to you in the future, and then act accordingly. Then keep acting and keep improving, and soon enough you will become a confident person and a courageous person. I'm looking forward to his next installment on on courage. But I love that distinction. Courage is what you do, not just what you feel. And I think particularly when it comes to moral courage, this is where we are in the midst of a proving ground where a lot of people are learning things about themselves, um, some which may be surprising and, and uh, you know, uh, encouraging. People may find that they have courage that they didn't know they had. A lot of people are finding, too, though, that, uh, well, when push comes to shove, I knuckle under pretty quick. And please don't feel shame over that. We've all been there. We've all done that at times. We've, we've compromised because, well, it was just easier than making waves. But unfortunately, the kind of compromises that are being demanded of us right now are the kind that are not easily come back from. So I'll have a link to this in the, art, in the uh, show notes, this article by Paul Rosenberg on building courage and confidence. I think we're going to need both of them in far greater supplies than what we have right now. Because we're living in some tricky times, my friend. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick mention here to lifesavingfood.com. This is where you can pick up food storage and preparedness items and rest a little easier at night. Look, it's not going to solve all the problems in the world, but there is something to be said about the confidence that comes from knowing that if something happens unexpectedly, I'm just going to give you just kind of a weird random example. It's the dead of winter. The power goes out. How am I going to stay warm? And well-fed. Well, if you have food storage, if you have alternative means of heating your home, these are things you've already sussed out. These are things that you have, have taken the time to have something in place where you can fall back on it. And you're not just, you know, well, guess I better go show up to the Red Cross shelter because that's my only option. Now, look, it's not to live in fear. Okay, it's not about, let's see, what's the next possible disaster. You can't prepare for every single eventuality. But there's a lot that you can do to mitigate unforeseen crises that will come up from time to time just simply by virtue of the fact that we live in an imperfect world. Let LifesavingFood.com help you get that peace of mind from knowing I can handle this. I've got a link in the show notes at com. I would be greatly honored if you would click on it and do business with them. So how can you tell when someone is trying to brainwash you? I mean, I guess it depends on the person, right? 
For some people, it may be a very easy thing to spot. For others, maybe not so much. Ken McManigal has a couple of uh, very useful takes on this subject. And he starts with the question, can you tell when someone's trying to brainwash you? Well, he says, one way to know is to watch for revealing words. So when someone says, our government or your government, that's a subtle form of brainwashing. He says, it's a lie, but it's one that most people won't catch. That also applies to things like our president or other politicians. Another red flag is when they speak of leaders when talking about rulers or politicians. <clears throat> Ken McManigle says, that's another sneaky lie. A newer trick that emerged with uh, climate change went viral during the COVID overreaction, and that's to speak of the science when spreading the opinions of politicized experts. And Ken McManigle reminds us science is a process, not a proclamation. So when someone's talking about the science, that's a lie. But the point here is if others can make you accept their deceptive words without hesitation then they can fool you into believing the world is as they would prefer you believe. In fact, often they're trying to make you accept the legitimacy of political government, something which he says can never be legitimate. Brainwashing doesn't have to be a complete lie. In fact, it could be a half-truth presented in an untruthful way, such as what often happens in the corporate news. In fact, that's their only gimmick. But Kent McManigle says, don't let the bullies brainwash you into giving up your individual liberty. It's never worth it. Any comfort you get from embracing the, the brainwashing is fleeting. And the pain could last for the rest of your life. I love that he is just clear, right to the point. And this is good, solid information. At least it, it, to me, it rings very, very true. You may quibble, as I do, on certain points. But overall, Ken McManigle, I think, has a really great take. All right, shifting gears. Higher education is ground zero for our ongoing culture wars. Gary and Frankel, I have the privilege of interviewing him from time to time through the Young Voices organization. He questions whether the Master's of Education degree now being offered by Harvard's Graduate School of Education is really a Master's of Education degree or a Master's degree in faux social justice. He says Harvard's Graduate School of Education will offer 190 classes during the spring 2022 semester. And a few classes are what you would expect. Instruction in quantitative analysis, classroom management, and basic pedagogy among them. But many others are not. One class is titled Native Americans in the, 17th, or in the 21st Century, rather, Native Nation Building. And it makes no attempt to relate itself to most American classrooms. Another called Education on the Move, Recentering the Body and Movement in Teaching and Learning, asks students to embrace what it calls decolonized truths about bodies and movements, movement rather, as being essential to any kind of progressive and liberatory education. Of the first 50 traditional classes appearing in the GSE's course catalog, more than half are directly tied to some form of social justice concept. Wow. Now, the quiet, gradual intrusion of wokeness and other social justice concepts into the lectures, the literature, and the projects present in many Masters of Education programs has been well documented. But this open brazenness is a new and rapidly spreading phenomenon. Literature was the first conquest. Courses are the next one. But Gary and Frankel says, while Harvard academics prattle on about how pointing is racist, 
the next generation of Americans struggles to get through the school day. Fights, vandalism, sexual harassment have gone from occasional specters to frequent tormentors. Frankel says if these universities were offering, even requiring one or two classes related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, there would be no catastrophe. But he says, unfortunately, many Masters of Education programs place educator education second or even third to social justice initiatives. And it's the students who suffer for it in the end. And the problem is by no means limited to Harvard or even Ivy League universities more broadly. Smaller public universities have fallen prey to the tide of wokeness as well, though perhaps not to the same extent. Look no further than the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Their Masters of Education in Educational Leadership consists of 10 required courses. Of these, three are centered around diversity, with one class narrowly focusing on ethics, equity, and diversity. Now, Gary says, ideological intrusion is difficult to quantify, but it can be done. A Heritage Foundation study sought to determine the research specializations rather, of 3,190 professors across 38 colleges of education each being either a highly ranked college or a program that educates a large number of teachers. 48% of these educators, that's 70% at California State University, Long Beach, were found to have a social justice research specialization. And the vast majority of professors teach courses that are in line with their background and research interests, so it's no wonder that woke classes have emerged in such force across the country. He says the physical, make that the philosophical and psychological harms associated with wokeness, as with the presence of wokeness in college classrooms in the first place, has been well established. The pandemic is most often credited with the nationwide decline in student performance, but an analysis by the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which tested students before the pandemic, found that students' test test scores have been stagnating or dropping since 2012, nearly a decade before the pandemic's effects on learning were fully understood. Now, wokeness isn't exactly ancient either. In fact, uh, Gary and Frankel talks about how his mother, who earned a teaching degree in the early 1990s, cannot recall any facet of her education about being centered around social justice. She does remember extensive pedagogical strategies that held and still hold direct relevance in elementary education. But instead of engaging in much-needed research and self-reflection to see if they were the problem, after all, education departments around the country are doubling down on their philosophies and strategies. Many, in the name of equity, are doing away with testing entirely. Now, he says, dewokifying university education departments is possible and it's arguably desirable, but it will not be easy. In fact, at minimum, it will take strong wills and a tangible, competing vision for education and lots of patience. Unfortunately, American families can't afford to wait 20 years for meaningful reforms to meaningful reforms rather to trickle down from university education departments into the classroom. <clears throat> In other words, expansion of school choice may be the best answer for the short term. A lot of states have done this. A lot of states lack private school options. But when you have education departments not offering serious classes, grassroots efforts often can help to fill the void. I'll have a link to his article in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianheitshow.com. And we'll be back right after this.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I just want to thank you for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. And I hope that that's a label that you will wear with pride. It's not like, you're a wrong thinker. I'm not trying to put you down. That's a compliment. If I greet you as, welcome, fellow wrong thinker. You know, that's that's as good as an embrace. Which, I don't know, if it makes it uncomfortable. Let's not make this weird. But I'm, I'm grateful that there are people willing to think outside of the narratives that are being force-fed to us on a daily basis. And I certainly don't claim to have all the answers. There's a very real chance I could be dead wrong about any number of things. But as long as we are asking relevant questions, I'm confident we're going to get to the truth. That's why this program exists, and that's why I I encourage you to support the sponsors who make it possible. And if you'd like to subscribe to get my show notes on a daily basis, just uh, go to the show notes. Actually, just go to the website, and there's a subscribe button. And I'll drop them in your email inbox every single day that I do the show. All right, moving on here. If you need a little more clarity as to how the state isn't your friend, I want to share with you a compilation of the wackiest parenting stories of 2021 by uh, Lenore Skenazy. She is the person who pioneered the concept of free-range children. And this is pretty solid evidence, at least to me, it's solid evidence of how out of balance government has become at every level and why, as a parent, you and I cannot afford to let our guard down. Lenore Skenazy says, in a crazy year, some stories were crazier than others when it came to kids, parents, worry warts, scolds and everything else besides COVID-19, which we give a blessed rest in this list. So here's, here's the first example of crazy parenting stories of 2021. Number one, why can't you be good like me? A Beaverton, Oregon man screamed at a lady for leaving her kid in the car while she ran into the grocery store for two items. Her irresponsibility was hurting his work. Here he was, minding his own business, stealing her car when he noticed the baby and had to bring him back. What a waste of time. On the upside, at least that gave the guy a chance to tell the mom what a low life she was before he sped off in her car again. (laughs) Sadly, I could see that playing out. Here's number two. We'll leave a light on in your cell. Shayna Bell of Youngstown, Ohio, was arrested for leaving her kids ages 10 and 2 in a motel room while she worked her evening shift at a pizza shop. Cops tipped off to this struggling family's criminal activity booked mom into jail on two counts of criminal child endangerment. Being in a cell would certainly help her supervise her kids. Surprise happy ending. When that story got out, GoFundMe raised $165,000 to help the Bell family. That's crazy. I've actually seen it happen, though. I've seen it happen with with friends where, you know, what, what turned out is... You know, uh, leaving her, a mother who left her kids at the library with the older kids supervising the younger kids came back to find a police officer waiting for her. And I think she ran into the same police officer just a short time later. She ran into the store to drop a video off and came back out to the car. That time she was charged with felony child endangerment. Now, thankfully, those charges were dismissed, but that's a pretty sobering thing to see your friend's mugshot and go, what the heck? 
felony child endangerment? Yeah. And I'm sure that really helps. Well, let's just throw you in prison to show you what it's like to not be present in your child's life like you should be. Let's make a situation worse. Number three, the school pickup to prison pipeline. When 10-year-old Braylon Harvey was picked up a full seven minutes late from a Chicago public school, the school reported his mom, Janae Dodson, to the Department of Child and Family Services. The principal's email to Dodson said, I am empathetic to the challenges of balancing work and family responsibilities. However, all school employees are required to follow CPS protocols. Lenore Skenazy says, you know, Dolores Umbridge couldn't have said it better. Number four, no glowing recommendations for this kid. Hazmat teams rushed to New Jersey's Haddon Township High School in January after a sophomore brought a quarter-sized piece of Fiesta ware, that's the colorful Depression-era plates, to science class. He wanted to see if the red color, once made with uranium oxide, was radioactive. His teacher considered it a learning opportunity. An administrator considered it a biohazard and evacuated the school. Even though if you search for Fiestaware Radioactive, as Lenore Skenazy did, you'll find an article on ScienceNotes.org saying there is no record of anyone ever becoming sick from manufacturing or using radioactive Fiestaware. Number five, how dare those boys play outside? Nevada doctor Daniel Hansen was at work when his sons, 8 and 10, asked their mom if they could play down their dead-end street. Mom said yes, and off they went until a neighbor called 911 to report two unsupervised children. Firefighters raced over to sheepishly escort them home. See, now the firemen apologized, adding that they would report, the, then added that they would be reporting the family to law enforcement. Dr. Hansen's mom, Assemblywoman Alexis Hansen, needed no further prodding to co-sponsor Let Grow's Reasonable Childhood Independence Bill in the Nevada State Legislature. The law ensures that parents who let their kids do unreasonable things like play outside cannot be charged with neglect unless they put the kids in obvious and likely danger. That bill passed in the Nevada House with bipartisan support, stalling in the Senate. But here's the good news. This year, this last year, Oklahoma and Texas became the second and third states to follow the lead of Utah, which passed the country's first free-range parenting law in 2018. Now one-tenth of American kids live where they are guaranteed the right to reasonable childhood independence. This coming year, Let Grow, the childhood independence-promoting nonprofit that she runs, hopes to pass similar bills in Colorado, Nebraska, and South Carolina. So she says, stay tuned and wish us luck. 2022 could be a much better year for free-range kids. I don't know, do you find yourself tempted ever to call CPS on somebody? It's a really tricky thing. And I've, you know, I've, I've had my own experience once upon a time, a long time ago. Uh, when we were raising our kids, uh, we had a neighbor drop by unexpectedly while I was at work and I believe while Becky was at work. Now, at this time, I had kids who were in their early teens, and I also had kids right down to the toddler stage. And apparently a neighbor stopped by and saw our toddler boy standing up in his high chair with probably food smeared all over his face. He always was kind of a messy eater, but uh, he really liked to, to do the whole let's rub mashed potatoes in my eyes thing. But she was concerned at what she saw. And, you know, I'm grateful for that concern, but 
What I wasn't so grateful for was the instinct was, well, I should probably call DCFS and have them come and and, uh, look into this, whether these kids are being neglected. Thankfully, she spoke to our, uh, our local clergy, and our bishop pulled us into his office uh, that uh, following Sunday and said, listen, uh, something I need to make you aware of, this is a concern. Someone has expressed uh, concern that maybe there's some neglect going on here and indicated they wanted to uh, reach out to DCFS. I've asked them not to, but I wanted to make you aware of that. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I could sit there and just be angry. Oh, how dare they? But the chill that went up my spine when he said, yeah, you know, she was wanting to call DCFS, that was a real chill. Because I've been paying attention over the years and I've seen a lot of people who, you know, for one reason or another, DCFS enters their life. And look, once they have entered the scene, you don't get rid of them just by asking them to leave. If, they're, if they feel like they need to intervene, and frankly, for, for some of them, this is, this is the whole reason they exist. We are here to find a reason to intervene. They're going to be there, and they will attach themselves to you and your family and uh, will not let go until they are satisfied that you are meeting every bureaucratic requirement they can come up with. I want you to understand, it was probably a mistake leaving the kids in charge, but it was also a temporary thing. And there was, it wasn't like we, we left them, you know, with a broken gasoline pipeline dumping gas into the house and nothing but books of matches to play with and keep them entertained. It was nothing that put them into obvious danger. More than anything, just a sense of bad timing. Could we have done it better? Yeah, probably. Most likely, yes. My only caution is when you get the state involved, particularly when you get Child Protective Services involved, you're opening a door that is not very easily shut. Because once the state is involved, it doesn't care about any nuance or anything like that. There are bureaucratic things that have to be, boxes that have to be ticked off and and things that have to be checked out. And the bottom line is you will be told in no uncertain terms that your parenting and your authority in your household is subject to the approval of this bureaucrat or that bureaucrat. And I'm sorry if it sounds like, are you throwing all these child protective workers under the bus? Nope. Nope. But the system itself has a predatory side that those who've had to deal with it will readily recognize. And those who haven't may be tempted to dismiss. Okay. The point is, yeah, there are people out there who abuse children. And they should be stopped. But not everything constitutes abuse. And a government agency looking for abuse is going to find something to hang its hat on. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. If you need a loan, a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage, maybe just to refinance your existing home loan, these are the folks I want you to talk to if you are listening to me anywhere within the state of Utah. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is your best bet to get the loan you need and to get it without delay. And you know, in a really hot real estate market, that's important. You can contact Heather by calling 435-703-4522. You can stop by their office in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street. 
Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Well, this next story I'm going to share with you, I I was actually kind of hesitant to do this because it's, this is a pretty heavy story. Okay, I've I've saved, uh, probably saved the, the roughest information today for last. But it should be very clear to anybody who's trying to pay attention that so much of the narrative we've been fed for the last two years is falling apart right now. James Howard Kunstler has an unflinching look at the crimes against our country, and he calls them crimes. And when you hear why, maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't. But there's a big question here about will those responsible be held accountable or will we just have to declare our nation a lawless nation? Kunstler says the year of sickening global psychosis ended with virologist and vaccine uber specialist Dr. Robert Malone truth bombing the Internet with three hours of straight talk about the U.S. Health Authority's campaign to destroy the lives of at least half a million U.S. citizens so far and leading by example to harm multiples of that number of innocent people across all of Western civilization. Podcaster Joe Rogan assisted skillfully in an interview that's finally rocking the world out of an epic consensus trance. There's a link to that interview, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet or listen to it. It's This, this is something you really should check out. Now, Kunstler, he clarifies here, by health authorities, I don't just mean Dr. Anthony Fauci the designated national SARS-CoV-2 coordinator, or even his accomplices in the Department of Health and Human Services, like the CDC, the National Institutes of Health, NIAID, etc. But also the purblind U.S. medical establishment of actual doctors in clinical practice, researchers, hospital administrators, and pharma executives who acted with a collective stupid malevolence not seen since the crematory stuffers of the Nazi bureaucracy carried out their final solution. And his message to them is, we know what you did. You engineered and patented a gain-of-function virus at the same time you conspired with pharma companies to devise and patent pseudo-vaccines. And then you loosed both of them on the public. You didn't just fail to adequately test the vaccines cooked up by Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, but you deliberately botched the trials and lied about it. You created rich dollar incentives for hospitals to mistreat COVID patients by failing to use known, safe, effective antivirals. You conspired with the social and news media to suppress information about those common antiviral drugs that would have informed many patients' decisions and saved thousands of lives. You treated late-stage patients dying of COVID-induced vascular disorder with the ineffective and toxic drug remdesivir that Dr. Fauci had developed unsuccessfully for an Ebola outbreak years before. In fact, he says nurses turned so cynical about the remdesivir protocol that they nicknamed it Run, Death is Near. You prompted government officials to lock down society force useless masking, and now to coerce vaccination by threatening to deprive citizens of their livelihoods. So the U.S. Supreme Court will entertain arguments this coming Friday, January 7th, to enjoin against Joe Biden's mandates to coerce vaccination. 
in companies that employ more than 100 people, <clears throat> excuse me, and a separate mandate forcing vaxes on staff at Medicare, Medicaid certified providers, meaning most hospitals and doctor's offices. Now, there's a pretty good chance the court will decide against the mandates. They're expected to rule Monday, January 10th, the day that the mandates are supposed to take effect. Boy, a lot of people are going to be watching that one, too. The government's actions around the COVID-19 event look more and more to be deliberately and maliciously intended to harm lives and cause social and economic breakdown. In the last weeks of 2021, he says, federal public health officers even blocked shipments of monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies around the country, despite their proven efficacy. The CDC scheduled the use of PCR tests for, for COVID-19 to end on December 31st after declaring them unreliable in August. And James Howard Kunstler says, why the five-month lag? Well, he says the answer is to keep the uh, case numbers jacked up. That's why. Every effort is being made to extend emergency youth authorizations, use authorizations rather, for unsafe and ineffective vaccines in order to sustain shields against liability for the benefit of their manufacturers. Pfizer refuses to release in the USA its FDA-approved Comirnaty version of the EAU-protected BioNTech product for that reason. The Pentagon has lied and confabulated its use of the two Pfizer products in order to illegally force unapproved BioNTech vaccinations on enlisted men and women. Hospital directors, doctors, and their professional associations continue to to persecute colleagues who speak publicly against the vaccines. The vaccine makers refuse to disclose the exact contents of their products and were permitted to withhold data on safety trials until a half century into the future. Now, the obvious conclusion is that they don't want the public to be informed about any of this. The net effect is that the medicine, medicine in the USA has destroyed its own authority. And he asks, who can trust his doctor if you know that your doctor went along with all this epic dishonesty? James Howard Kunstler says the world is heading, or the country rather, is heading into an agonizing reality test at a scale and speed never before seen in human history. You can already assume that government has lost control of the COVID-19 story. The Omicron scare is failing miserably. Lots of cases, few deaths, mild symptoms. Government's credibility is shot. In the months ahead, we'll learn just how harmful those vaccines were, especially among American children, as deaths mount from damage done to people's organs and immune systems. The perfidious news media is now scrambling to adjust its own narratives, but they won't escape the record of falsehood they've sedulously laid down. They can't delete or rewrite every story in their archives, and many of these are printed out in hard copy anyway. Next, they'll try apologizing. We're sorry, but the pandemic drove us just a little nuts. But that's hardly enough. And Kunstler says they have to answer in courts of law, or else we must just declare the USA a lawless state. Now, this gets really sobering here. And and I'm sorry if this turns out, if it feels like I'm throwing a wet blanket over your whole day, that's not my goal. But 
this is the point we've reached. Trying to ignore it is not going to make it go away, so let's let's deal with it as we can. He says the COVID-19 crimes against our fellow citizens amount to just one piece of a package of reality tests coming our way in 2022. Do you think special counsel John Durham skulked off to drink pina coladas in oblivion after indicting a couple of errand boys, namely Denchenko and Sussman? Nope. He is a hypersonic force orbiting over a well-known cast of political criminals, all headed for prosecution. Next up will be the train wreck of the U.S. economy. Do you think the crimes around the 2020 national election are buried and forgotten? James Howard Kunstler says you're in for some harsh surprises. Things have truly flipped. You just don't realize it yet. Now, I'm going to ask you just to pause for a moment here and just think about, okay, how much of this affects me directly? And only you can answer that question. I mean, if you are a, if you're a health bureaucrat, maybe it's going to affect you a lot. You may be sitting in the dock answering questions at some point. But for the rest of us, it means that uh, everything that we've been hanging on to, that, uh, that, you know, it's all, nothing's going to change any further and it's all going to get normalized again and we're all going to go back to normal. I don't think that's the case. I think the damage has been done and the people who are trying so desperately to hang on to power in the first place are likely to resort to, well, whatever it takes. I mean, let's try not to let our imaginations run away with us, but if they were willing to let people be harmed, whether it be physically, mentally, economically, in order to uh, accrue more power, what do you think they would do to keep from having that power stripped away from them? I think the answer is almost anything. This is The Brian Hyde Show.